This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Also, make sure to check out and subscribe to our YouTube original channel, UCTV Prime, available only on YouTube at youtube.com slash UCTV Prime. This UCTV podcast is sponsored in part by Audible.com, your destination for the widest selection of digital audiobooks available, including many by guests you've heard here on UCTV. Audible.com is offering UCTV podcast listeners a free 30-day trial subscription and one free audiobook download. Just visit audibletrial.com slash UCTV to sign up. That's audibletrial.com slash UCTV. And thanks. So let me now um, introduce our speaker. And I think it's fair to say that we actually have a revolutionary in our midst tonight. So we have a revolutionary in terms of thinking about uh, retail business. So we're, very, we're really thrilled to have Marco Neto with us uh, uh, tonight. And Mark is Senior Vice President of Worldwide Operations and Customer Service at Amazon.com. Is there anybody who's not an Amazon customer in this crowd and you're, <laughs> and you're brave enough to raise your hand? <laughs> I suspect, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an Amazon customer. I suspect that many of, many of us are Amazon customers. So as you know, that's really an amazing story of uh, business success, and Amazon is really revolutionizing the whole retail industry. Just last week, it reported fourth quarter sales that climbed 22% to $21.3 billion in one quarter. And interestingly, during, during Mark's tenure at uh, Amazon, it moved from a $9 billion company to a $70 billion company. So that was all due to you, right, Mark? (laughs) But interesting, fascinating growth um, um, uh, by that company, of course, and many of us are are familiar with that. So Mark Mark is the head of worldwide operations for Amazon. So that's a big job, right? So they're, as he'll tell us uh, here in a few minutes, they're expanding globally more and more. Uh, very exciting company, and he is the head of all of operations uh, for the company. So we're really thrilled uh, that, that he's here with us. He's been pioneering lean management in retail uh, distribution uh, to reinforce the customer-centric experience of Amazon.com. Uh, and then before joining Amazon, Mark was executive vice president of worldwide operations for Selectron, a $12 billion global leader in electronics manufacturing. Mark also enjoyed 15 successful years uh, at General Electric. So his last assignment was as vice president of GE European operations. And from 1988 to 2002, he held several leadership positions at GE Medical Systems. Many of you are familiar with the <clears throat> practice, uh, with or practice Six Sigma, and Mark was one of the GE pioneers of Six Sigma and spearheaded the globalization and the quality transformation in GE medical systems. And he was recognized for this contribution personally by Jack Welch in his autobiography. Before GE, Mark served 12 years at Exxon Corporation. 
and he also recently received a national award from the government of France. He received the National Order of Merit, which is a French decoration that recognizes contribution to Franco-American friendship and business collaboration. Mark earned an MBA from the Tepper School of Business at Carnegie Mellon University, and he's a graduate in the engineering school from the Ecole Centrale de Lyon in France. So, Mark, we're really thrilled to have you here with us tonight. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Um, good evening to all of you. It's great to be in the Bay Area. Um, that said, you know, I now live in Seattle because I work for Amazon, but I want everybody to know that when we left, the sun was shining this morning in Seattle. <laughs> All right? So, so I did not come here to exile myself from the bad weather. But. All right. So today I want to, to speak to you a little about, about Amazon and perhaps a little more wide about uh, what it is to lead excellence in operations. Um, the, Steve was, uh, was kind enough to, uh, to refer to uh, uh, the growth of Amazon over the past uh, six years since I have been there. Um, and, um, and indeed, it has been a pretty exciting ride. Uh, there's very few companies that grow at that speed. And, you know, when you, you were kind enough to quote our last earnings and growing at around 20 to 25, even 35% some quarters, for a company of our size, pretty exciting. It means a lot. Um, and so, so a lot of people wonder, what's the secret? Right? Is, it, is there some magic going on, or is it something going on that makes that uh, Jeff Bezos and myself are going to go to jail next year or something like this? Right? <laughs> and, um, and so tonight, I would like to, to share the secret with you. Uh, it's, it's a very, in fact, simple secret. Um, Amazon, uh, when, when, Je- when Jeff Bezos began our company in, in 1995, and decided that uh, this thing, the internet, could be a good way to, uh, to serve customers. Um, there was also something which was quite obvious, which is that in the internet, as you know, information is free and fast. And therefore, uh, you better be good for your customers. Because if you're not good for your customers, it's going to be known very fast. Uh, so, uh, so that's a very simple idea. Of course, the genius is to make this idea a reality. But our company... Um, is really based, and the whole success is based on what we call customer centricity. And for us, it's much more than just a slogan, uh, much more than, than just what you say when uh, the press is visiting or, or the local officials uh, or when you speak to students. Um, and then, of course, you, know, you say that publicly, but then once the visitors are out, we try to make the quota. I mean, the customers, who cares, right? Um, so, but for us, it's much more than just a slogan. It's, it's a culture, but it's much more than the culture. It's also our business plan. It's the way we succeed. It's the way we succeed. We believe, and I think we have demonstrated, that if you're good with your customers, if you drive every decision you make in business from the customer backwards, then it will work also uh, with your CFO and with your shareholders. And that's what we are about. Um, Jeff uh, Bezos has made unbelievable strategic decisions uh, from day one uh, to uh, really base what what he was deciding based on uh, does it make sense for the customer. Of course, it needs guts because there is a certain response time between the moment you do something good for the customer and the moment where 
uh, it pays off in the bottom line. And so um, another thing which characterizes uh, Amazon and, and, and Jeff is that we make uh, business decisions, business bets that are long-term business bets. Um, for example, as some of you know, we launched uh, new services called Amazon Web Services in cloud computing. And for a while, nobody knew even we were in it. it was, we had a very good business plan at the time, which was IBM was making the ad and we were making the money, which is a good business plan between them. Okay, something that uh, for the, you know, the teachers of strategy and business, you should uh, quote that example. Uh, but um, so, but uh, honestly, I mean, it took a while before AWS became a major thing for Amazon, but now it's a big deal if you read, in fact, what the analysts are saying. And one of the reasons why they liked our last earnings was that, oh, my God, there is this thing coming on now, which is something that, uh, you know, we began. In fact, I was in the room when Jeff decided to do this uh, about now six years ago. Um, so it's a long-term strategy. Uh, it's a courageous strategy, but it pays off. Um, let, me, let me give you a few examples of... of uh, of business decisions that, that uh, Jeff Bezos made and we made and that were, uh, you know, the, the pundits in, uh, in Wall Street um, uh, at the time thought that was crazy. Uh, you know, there was a famous Amazon.bust, which came uh, for a while. The people that wrote this are now looking for a job, right? Uh, and Jeff is not looking for a job, right? Uh, so um, we made some, some unbelievable calls. For example, uh, one of the most famous one is... Uh, you know, we, uh, Jeff and the original team of Amazon worked very hard to develop a website. We spent a lot of money. Uh, and finally, we began to have a website that was uh, really good for the customers, uh, including some stuff like the reviews and some of the things I'm sure you all know, and the one click and all that stuff. And then Jeff said, okay, now we're going to open it, open it to our competitors. Uh, that's when we introduced uh, the merchant business. As you know, when you go to Amazon, we are much more than just a shop. We are a marketplace. We are a lot of other people that Amazon sell stuff, and many of these other people are, in fact, competitors of Amazon. Uh, so, uh, of course, the pundits in Wall Street said, you're crazy, right? Jeff makes no sense, right? You lost your mind, you know? Um, and Jeff just said no. Um, he said, you know, that uh, what we want to offer to our customers, which is the three pillars of Amazon success, best price, best selection, best delivery, well, if we want to offer the whole selection of every product that people can buy, there is no way that alone we can make it. So we better open our website to other people. And the result of this is, of course, an absolutely genius decision because, um, yes, we have competitors on the website, but now when you look for things, you don't even Google it anymore. You just Amazon it, right? <laughs> that was the idea. That was the whole idea. I understand our friends down, the, down in the valley are a little worried about us on that front, right? <laughs> From what I read, I know nothing. I mean, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> just the guy that makes a package, right? Uh, so, so that was one of the unbelievably smart decisions. Uh, that was all based on, let's think, from the customer backwards, right? Um, the way, we, uh, the way we, we do our pricing policy. Our pricing policy is very simple. We match the lowest price all the time. Right? And we have, of course, computers that do that all the time, scrub the web, and more than the web, we even scrub the uh, ads in the newspapers, which are all in... In the, uh, on, on the web today. So we can do that with technology. And, uh, and we just match uh, the lowest price. So customers can be sure that they come to Amazon, we have the lowest price. Right? So, um, so that's this kind, all these decisions, which are um, you know, very strategic and always made thinking from the customer backwards. That's the secret. Now, um, that's fine. Um, it's very simple to speak about. Uh, the only problem is that uh, 
Great strategies need great execution uh, if you want to succeed. Great strategy without execution is a dream. Um, execution with no strategy doesn't go anywhere. So you need both. Uh, execution is what I'm about and my team. Um, so, uh, you know, with customer centricity, what you do over time, uh, you build customer trust. It takes a long time to develop that reputation that we are a credible company, that we are somebody you can trust when you buy from, and that you're going to find what you want, you don't have to look elsewhere. It takes years to establish this. So building customer trust is one of the most difficult things to do in business. It's also the most easy thing to lose. And I'm reminded that every time. We have a, a program at Amazon to make sure that um, uh, people like me and Jeff and, and, and uh, the, all the managers are not just in their office dreaming about strategy and the, knowing what's going on. Uh, we have many programs. Like the one which is very exciting is called the C2 program where everyone in Amazon of a certain level above has to spend a day listening to customer calls. So we go to, the, and as I'm in charge of the customer service department, for me it's more than a day. It's about more than a week a year or perhaps two weeks a year. I want to reassure you, uh, they don't let me speak to the American customers because of my French accent, right? So, so I can listen to them. But uh, the only one they let me speak to is a French customer. I'm okay there, right? Um, so um, they, um, and then, you, you know, you listen to these calls, and, and you got a, a customer on the phone, and, you know, I look on the screen, and I can see the whole history of, of the business we had with this customer. And we have served this customer absolutely perfectly for the last 10 years. We never missed a delivery. We never had any complaint. And then that day, we missed. Right? And that's why he's on the phone. So, of course, he's a man, and you know, he forgot the anniversary, and then he just, uh, <laughs> he's in trouble. And you know, he, he, could, he, took, he clicked the one-day delivery, next-day delivery, and we screwed up. For whatever reason, the package did not arrive. And he's on the phone. He said, do you know what you're doing to me? Don't you understand? I mean, the package did not arrive. She's going to kill me tomorrow morning. <laughs> And uh, I, I feel for him because that happened to me too, all right? But, uh, uh, but uh, uh, you see immediately how you can lose the trust right? as soon as you miss a bit. Now, that's a very, very demanding thing. Um, so Steve was kind enough to, um, uh, to remind me that I used to be a Six Sigma guy, so I've got to do a little Six Sigma stuff here. All right, so let's, uh, let's, imagine, let's imagine one second that every operation that we, that we have is a Six Sigma operation, which will be unbelievable. There is no company that knows how to do that. But just let's imagine that one second. So for those of you that have studied this, that's 3.4 defect per million opportunity, okay? You remember? All right, so let's take a few numbers here. I'm an Amazon guy. I've got to do numbers, all right? And you're in business school. You've got to do numbers. So um, let's say we have about 10 million uh, packages a day right, that we send from Amazon. Uh, there is 20, 20, let's say, 20 basic operations in the process between buying from the supplier, putting it on shelves, picking it for you, putting in the package, and sending it. Um, let's say two items per package. That's 400 million opportunities. You multiply that by 3.4 defect per million opportunity, and you find 1,360 shipments per day that we miss. Now, we are not Six Sigma, right? So as you know, even if we are five sigma, it's an exponential law and not at all a linear law, as you perhaps remember. So let's say 10,000 bad experiences a day. That's an enormous number. That's what it is to run operations. Right? And perfection is not this world. And so that means that even the company that is totally focused on the customer, we're going to screw up 10,000 times a day. And 10,000 customers will be upset at us. 
That's the demanding thing of being an operations leader. So how do you deal with this? Well, as I said, I mean, perfection is not of this world, which means that there will be mistakes. Um, but the way to do it is um, to be better every day. So you can't be perfect, but you can trend toward perfection. And uh, a defect is acceptable if it's the first time it happens. A defect is not acceptable if it happens again. And that's how you have to drive towards excellence in operations. So in fact, customers many times uh, forgive us, uh, thanks to the customer service people that deal with them and uh, try to immediately uh, uh, repair our mistake in a way or another. Uh, but also, customers will still tra um, trust us even if we make a mistake once in a while. Uh, because overall, we make much less mistakes than the other guys. That's the whole idea of excellence. So excellence is not perfection, but excellence is demanding for continuous improvement. And how do you do that? Well, you take each of these processes that I was speaking about, and you improve them, one by one by one. And uh, there are many ways to do that. And we, uh, we try to do that uh, using really three methods, um, three basic fundamental drivers of excellence in operations. Um, technology, and I'm going to speak about information technology, of course. I'm an Amazonian. Um, methods of management, particularly Lean and Six Sigma. And then people leadership, because operations, uh, you, need to, you have people. And uh, engaging your people is a huge deal in winning the game. So first, um, let me speak to you about customer-centric technology. Uh, and that's one of the things that uh, perhaps is the other secret of Amazon, is that our information technology is home-built. We never bought any package, which by definition is always a compromise. Uh, our staff has been designed uh, to serve our customers from day one. And by the way, we use exactly the same technology wherever we are in the world. Steve was kind enough to uh, tell you that I'm in charge of operations across the world. So what I'm telling you today regarding the number of packages we send and it's exactly the same wherever we are. Uh, we operate today in uh, eight countries. Uh, we export to all the countries in the world. Uh, but um, uh, from many countries, we export from the U.S., of course, but we also, for example, export from France to French-speaking Africa. We export a lot from the United Kingdom to the Commonwealth and, and to a lot of English-speaking countries in the world. Uh, I think the, the biggest export from, uh, from uh, the United Kingdom today is to India. Um, because we have goods that, that people don't find in India and are very happy to find on Amazon.co.uk, and we export from there. Uh, but we also operate directly. Um, uh, I, we have a native website, uh, like Amazon.com here, and Amazon.co.uk in the United Kingdom, or Amazon.fr in France, and DE in Germany, and Spain, Italy, Japan, China. So everywhere, we operate exactly the same technology, and that technology has been conceived from the customer backwards. Uh, let me just give you... A few examples. I gave you the example of that te wonderful technology we have to assure that we have the best price, uh, this scrubbing technology by which we look at prices of everybody all the time. Right? Um, uh, then um, another technology that I'm directly in charge of. By the way, I should tell you, we don't have an IT department on Amazon. We all IT. Uh, I, uh, in operations, uh, we have about 600 uh, computer science engineers and about uh, 50 a PhD in operations research. 
Um, and one of the technology that is very exciting is uh, the technology of how do we position inventory? Where do we put our stock? Uh, for us, it's an absolute essential element when uh, many of you are customers, thank you, I'm sure, I hope many of you are prime customers, and if they're not, they better, it's the best $79 you will ever spend. <laughs> uh, I do a little commercial, I mean, I'm sorry, Steve, all right? <laughs> Uh, and you get a free video also, by the way, all right? So, <laughs> um, so, um, so, so Prime means that we promise in the United States uh, two days delivery um, for free. Uh, as you can imagine, that's a hell of a demanding thing for us. Um, and the big difference is uh, do I have to fly the goods to you or not? Uh, just to give you an idea of the, of the cost, um, if I uh, use a truck to send you the goods, it's going to cost me about 2 to $3 uh, per package. Uh, if I fly, that's $15, five times more. Uh, so I shouldn't do it too often, given that you only give me 79 bucks for the whole year. <laughs> um, and so the positioning of inventory uh, for millions of orders per day is a huge deal for Amazon. It's an enormous change in terms of financial performance of the company, of course, because to get the lowest price, you also need to have the lowest costs. Uh, so we have, a, we have a very advanced technology uh, which calculates where should I position my inventory, which continuously optimizes it. Uh, it's a complex optimization if you think about it because it also depends where it comes from. Uh, and it also depends the type of order you give me. Um, some of you are prime customers and some of you are on the cheap side. And the students, it's, For the students, it's okay, not for the alumni. Right? Uh, and they use uh, the super saver. Uh, shipping, which is free shipping, um, and so those, but where I ask you a little more time, and so in this case, as you can understand, I can track it across the country, so even if a super server order comes from Kentucky to come to, uh, to here, to UC Davis, uh, uh, then, then I have the time to track it, right? So, so there is this whole uh, optimization, which is totally from the customer backwards again, right? So we start from where are you, and what kind of stuff do you buy, and then we're going to position inventory in function, as a function of that. So, for example, we're going to put a little more umbrellas near Seattle than near San Diego. Oh, yeah. That said, it did not, okay, the sun shone this morning in Seattle, right? <laughs> That's for those of you who one day will work for Amazon. I assure you the sun shines there. Um, so, so this is the kind of stuff that you do with technology, right? Customer-centric technology. Think about everything that we do. Uh, there is a very good control for that. Um, the best one, of course, is um, for my colleagues that are in charge of programming the website. Uh, when they go home at night and the spouse says, what is this? It doesn't work. And the guy says, well, I'm sorry. I I'm the one who programmed it. I better go and fix it. Right? Very good control. There is the other thing also, which is a famous uh, email address, which is jeff at amazon.com. Jeff gets uh, hundreds of emails a day from customers that uh, are advising us about the mistakes we make. Uh, and he reads them all. And then he passes them on. I get about half of them. Uh, uh, and, um, and then we, uh, we continuously try to respond to customers and, and make sure that we fix the defects that customers have found for us. Uh, so that, that's this idea of, of, of this customer-centric technology. The second element uh, of, of driving excellence in operations at Amazon is to use the traditional industrial method and adapt them to... Um, uh, to our business, which is the retail distribution business. Um, so let me speak a little about that. As you know, um, there is two famous methods, uh, one being, in fact, part of the other, 
uh, Lean and Six Sigma. Uh, I'm not going to go into the war of religions between the two because I, I am a disciple of both. Um, but Six Sigma is really a part of Lean. Uh, Lean is an overall thinking of eliminating waste in what you do. Uh, Lean defines waste as what a customer would not pay for, which is a pretty good definition, pretty good customer-centric definition. So you see Toyota and Amazon think the same, except the Toyota guys began to think that way 100 years before Jeff Bezos did. So they have, they have certainly the right of uh, seniority. Um, and, and Six Sigma is an, uh, a method to eliminate one of the worst waste, which is variability in, in, in the outcomes of, of what we do. Um, and it's particularly useful in continuous process, whilst uh, Lean is uh, very useful in assembly method, and particularly when there is human beings involved. Um, so uh, using Lean is, uh, in, in, in retail is a very interesting thing, and, uh, and, but it, of course, needs adaptation. So that's one of the things I, I really want to share with you as something that, that I learned uh, in my career, is that you can really adapt um, the method of management to, uh, to what you are, you're in charge of. And... Um, let me give you one example, which is interesting. Uh, when, you, uh, when you learn Lean, the hard way usually, because you go to Japan and these guys, the senseis, are not very nice people. Um, in fact, I don't call them consultants. I call them insultants. Uh, that's the way they treat you. Uh, and so the first time that um, they taught me a few things there in Japan, uh, the first thing they, one of the first things they teach you when, when you go to the Toyota Museum is they put you in front of a, of a loom. Uh, that loom... Um, uh, makes t uh, cloth, right? Uh, because you learn when you go there that Toyota is not Toyota, but Toyota, and that the grandfather, or the great-grandfather now, uh, of the guy who's in charge, um, is, uh, was a loom engineer. And um, so you see that, that, that uh, loom working, and so you have the thing, the shuffle that goes back and forth like this, and then once in a while it stops. And they don't tell you why, so you've got to stay in front and, you know, until you got it. And it stops because once in a while, because the loom uh, is fed by a natural silk, uh, given that the loom is doing a geisha robe, um, one of the thread breaks. When one of the thread breaks, if you continue um, producing the cloth, uh, you will have a defect. Only a very experienced geisha will see the defect, but she will. And therefore, you've got to stop the line. And what uh, Toyota uh, invented was a loom that stopped automatically when, before producing a defect. And that's the fundamental of the thinking of Toyota, which stop the line. Do not let a defect go down the line. And then you go and see the car plant, and it's exactly the same. You see the huge factory, 5,000 people working, cars coming down the line, and then some guy, an associate, working on the line, is something that doesn't fit well or doesn't, it's not by the standard that he learned. And there is a big cord and he pulls the cord and stops the line. 5,000 people stop working. Okay, one associate does that. That's pretty cool, huh? And it's called undone cord. Uh, the word undone means uh, lantern because, of course, the engineers come out of their office very quick when the factory stops to see what's wrong and fix the defect and, and make sure the defect doesn't happen again. And uh, the word undone means lantern because you have to know where. Where is it in this huge factory? Where did it happen? In fact, I forgot that the first time I pulled the undone cord in uh, G Medical System, we did not have put a lantern. We don't know where it was. We run like crazy until we found the guy that pulled the undone cord. Uh, so, so the, of course, you understand the idea here. The idea is that on a, um, 
industrial act uh, in a process of manufacturing, you can stop the line. So how do you adapt that thinking in, in our world? Well, the way we adapted it was to say, um, we have these people, the wonderful people in customer service that takes your call when, when we screw up, and, um, and we are being made aware of a defect, and they are being made aware of a defect. So what we do in Amazon is we give them the authority to stop the line, which means that if you call one of our agents and, um, and you report a defect, which um, there are ways to, to check that, oh, this is a repetitive defect, there's something wrong here, uh, then the agent has the authority to take uh, that good off the website. We stop the line. And there will be no other customer impacted by that bad good. The first time we stopped the line was interesting. It was an SKU defect. So there was a confusion in the um, SKU that we received from the suppliers. And uh, uh, people were ordering earphones, and they were getting a hard disk, which is a bit difficult to put around <laughs> your ears. And, um, and, and so that was, that was an obvious defect. And uh, we stopped the line, and we fixed that. And this didn't happen again. In fact, if you look, if it happens to you one day, you'll see that it goes, it's still on the website, but it says it's in the Amazon lab to be studied. And so you understand the power that gives to the people. Uh, by the way, normal companies don't do that, of course. You're crazy. Can you empower these people, you know, just out of high school or something, and the temporary workers working before Christmas in your, and you let them take stuff out? You're supposed to sell? You must be nuts. No, we're not nuts. We are customer-centric. Now, I've got a good news for you, which I want to share, another secret. It's okay to trust your people. Because, of course, we are Amazon, so we measure everything, including the bad pool, i.e. when there was a misinterpretation or something was misunderstood, and we took off the website something that was not defective. Well, the good news is that they are right more than 98% of the time. <laughs> you can trust your people. So that's another thing we do. We, we trust our people. We engage them. And that's the last thing I want to speak to you about. Uh, you see, to be customer-centric in a company of this size, there is absolutely no way you can do it from the top. Now, you can use technology, which is a great way to leverage, a great way to scale, but there are a lot of things that we use people. Uh, we use people to respond to your phones or chats or emails. Uh, and in the fulfillment centers, I use a lot of people to pack for you, to pick and pack for you, because um, there's no robots that can do that. Yes, we bought a robot company. I'm sure you know about it. You've heard about it. And that's the idea of eliminating what we call in the lean world the necessary muda, the necessary waste, for example, walking around. That's not very value-add for customers. We, just, we have to because our fulfillment centers are so big. But it's not very fun for the worker to do. Some of our workers... You know, literally walk more than tens of, tens of miles per day, which is tiring. So, um, so our idea here is to replace the walk by the robot. But the very intelligent thing, which is to recognize what you want exactly, make sure it goes in the right package, that's only human being can do. And so, um, and so what you have to do, uh, if you want excellence, is engage the human beings. Make sure that um, you have uh, literally hundreds, thousands of people across the world that are participating into continuous improvement. Um, there is no way that you can do it top-down. Remember, however good, however smart you are, even for those of you that graduated from UC Davis uh, or, or other uh, prestigious institutions, um, you're just one. Right? And, and, and so what you have to do is engage the people. That's a huge deal. That's usually, in fact, the part that we missed in the Western world. Uh, the major 
conflicts between management and, uh, and uh, associates and blue-collar workers, which has characterizes most of uh, our industry, both in Europe and in the United States, is a major mistake. Uh, it's the mistake of management, of course, given that the management is in charge. Um, and if you see one of the things you're going to, uh, you know, that is really differentiates Toyota is the way they treat their people. Um, they really absolutely involve their people. Uh, they don't consider them as, uh, as um, uh, consumable um, and, and, and really engage them in continuously improving what they do. So, in, um, and we do that in the fulfillment center. Of course, uh, the concept is to have a standard work, which is very different from the the Taylor way, the Taylorism way of, of looking at, at a line, um, uh, it's a, at a certain point, there is the right way to do things. And it needs to be known. And it needs to be defined. Most, uh, most management technique uh, in traditional companies at that level uh, is uh, what I call YFP. Your F dot dot problem. <laughs> and, and that's what the supervisor tells the blue collar. Right? Because nothing happens exactly the way it's supposed to. Nobody exactly knows, and it's constant, continuously improvising. Well, in Amazon, uh, we prefer continuously, continuously improving rather than improvising. There's only two letters difference between the two words, but it's a hell of a difference. Um, and so you have a standard. Okay? So the way, for example, uh, we pack or the way we, um, um, we tape the box for you and uh, the way we, uh, we go and, and pick up the, the goods, uh, the way we store our goods on, on the shelves, all that is defined by a certain number of standards, including the time to do that, etc. Um, but then um, you don't make your people machines. What you do is you uh, continuously improve that standard. So there is one way of doing it right today, but it's okay to fix it and make it better for tomorrow. Right? And that's kind of the, 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 the basic ideas behind Lean, uh, and, and, of course, using a lot of metrics, including Six Sigma, uh, because when you stand um, tens of millions of packages per day, you're very close to a continuous process, right? Um, so that's, that's the kind of stuff that we, we, we do um, in uh, uh, using uh, all these methods of engaging our people to try to continuously improve. And in that way, we have a chance that uh, these famous 10,000 defects I was telling you at the beginning, uh, which, which happened... Um, you know, but, well, tomorrow that same defect won't happen. Now, you know, because the world is such that we continue growing and having new categories. For as you know, we originally were um, uh, we were uh, you know book distributors originally, and then media. And, but now you can find anything on Amazon. That's a huge challenge for us in operations because I can assure you that sending you a large screen TV is slightly different from sending you a book, right? Um, so so we, we have to, to continuously uh, innovate uh, in the way we, uh, we distribute. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a very exciting world. And, and that's the only secret of Amazon. There is not much more than that. Uh, the secret of, of excellence uh, from a customer-centric point of view using, um, using technology that is taught from the customer backwards, uh, using methods of management that are derived from the best in the world in terms of industry, industrial management, and then uh, leading your people. So it's kind of a what I call combining leading from the brain and from the heart. So we are not just a bunch of geeks. Uh, we have some great geeks, I assure you. Right? <laughs> uh, but we also have people that care about, um, we employ about 120,000 uh, blue collars across the world. Uh, and we, we try to care about them as much as we can. I was in China last um, two weeks ago. 
and I was very proud to, uh, to visit the way uh, our people um, are. You've heard certainly about ugly things about China manufacturing. Well, I can tell you that our dormitories at Amazon, they're about the same as uh, what I call, we, we have set a standard we call U.S. college standard, right? Freshman, freshman, all right, all right. <laughs> uh, meaning that uh, people live, you know, in very decent conditions and, uh, and, and very safety conscious and, and things like this. And, and that's kind of the way we care about customers by caring about our people. So, um, so to conclude, I think uh, I wanted to share with you that, um, you know, um, that success uh, is a combination of, of strategy and execution. The right strategy, which we think is, has to be customer-centric strategy, and execution by um, driving towards excellence, knowing that um, being aware that you're never perfect, um, walking your line all the time, knowing what's going on, listening to your customers, literally listening to your customers, um, and, then, um, and then driving, constantly driving for better performance. Uh, that's very simple secret of Amazon. Thank you. Mark, thank you very much for those uh, fascinating uh, remarks and uh, so many lessons that you uh, shared with us tonight that uh, were really illuminating. And um, so now Mark and I will have uh, a, a brief conversation. I'll ask a few questions, and then in a few minutes we'll open it up to your questions too. So begin to think about uh, the questions you'd like to ask uh, Mark. Mark, I'd like to begin by talking about global business and what it means to be a global leader. Um, all the positions you've held at Amazon, Selectron, GE, Exxon, and so on have involved companies that have significant global operations. So you have many, many years of experience there. You are also global in your personal life. You are uh, married to your lovely wife, Sally, who's here, who happens to be British. So th those of you who know anything about European history, you have the, you have the French and you have the British. And somehow you've made that work, apparently. Yeah. Happily married. She made that work. Give her the credit. <laughs> two, two lovely children as well. So, um, so not only have you been... Uh, uh, global in your business, but also in your personal life. And of course, that resonates with me a lot because I have uh, some global experience. Oh, too. yeah. Have, you have the Pacific, huh? <laughs> you have the channel. Huh? I, I have the other, <laughs> other side of the water. So, my lovely wife is here who has some experience in China. Uh, and China and I have, uh, have made that work as well. So, so, tell us a little bit more about what, what you think it means to succeed as a, a, a global leader, a leader in a company, in companies that are global and getting more and more global? Well, well I think um, first that um, you, you are absolutely right to, um, to quote um, our, our private life in, as part of that. Um, in fact, for me, um, the first time that I was really exposed to this uh, was when I was in business school. So for those of you that are still in school, uh, that's, that I think, a great opportunity. Uh, that was really the first time that I had to work with people of another culture. Um, and uh, if you ask some of my uh, 
uh, compatriots of the school at the time, they, they would certainly define me at the beginning as an ugly, arrogant Frenchman, which, as you know, <laughs> that's the way we're made. Uh, and, um, uh, and so, um, uh, but I learned there uh, that there was other ways of doing things. Uh, I learned uh, to work, I remember very well, very distinctively having a Japanese uh, uh, teammate in one of the teamwork we did, and, and the way they were just approaching problems was different. And, uh, um, and so, so there is this cultural thing, I think, which is very important when, when you want to lead the world. Uh, you've got to like the world. Uh, you've got to do just more than business when you go there. I, I, um, I love history and geography. Uh, I read books about the countries where, uh, where I have uh, operations. Uh, I, I, try to, I try to understand. Uh, now, you know, we've, within limits, right? Uh, you know, after all these years, I still don't like very much American food, right? So, but that's because I'm French. <laughs> but I do like Chinese food, right? So, <laughs> uh, so, so uh, my point here is that you've got to open your mind to, uh, to the world um, and, and uh, appreciate uh, the, the absolute honor you have to, to be in charge of, of global operations. The second thing, is, which is very interesting, is the other way around. Is In fact, the fundamentals are the same all over the world. Um, the very fundamentals. Uh, the, way to, the best way to describe that is, is uh, one day, uh, a few years ago, when we began, uh, Amazon began operating in, in Japan, a lot of great advisors, uh, consultants, etc., uh, were telling Jeff Bezos that, uh, you know, your model is not going to work in Japan. Japan is so special. Customers are very different, very demanding. Uh, there is no chance your thing will work. Jeff's response was very interesting. As I told you, the, the three pillars of Amazon are the best price, the best selection, the best delivery, right? And Jeff responded, okay, no, I, I, I'm sure that's different, but I'm still looking for customers that want to pay more, to find less, and to make sure it arrives late. <laughs> My point here is that the fundamental drivers of uh, business and perhaps of humanity are really the same. So there is a lot of differences in the surface. And some of the things, the way we behave, the way we act, I always you know, try to, we are kind enough to speak about our life, Sally and I, and with the channel in between. And you know, it's, I always ex take the example, for those of you that know, that you know, in England, because it rains a lot, uh, people play cricket, which is a game you play on grass. It rains a lot, right? So there is grass. And so there is this, but cricket, you know, when you look at it, it's not a very demanding sport, um, and it's mostly a social way of the village to meet uh, around the green, as they call it. Uh, well, you know, we do the same in France, uh, especially in the south of France, um, except we don't do it on grass, because there is no grass in the south of France, so we do it on dirt. And we don't do it with white uh, things, we do it in shorts. Um, and then we have steel balls, called pétanque. Um, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know pétanque, it's like the French edition of bocce ball, except because it's French, we think it's much better than Italian stuff, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, but it's the same idea. It's an idea of a game on the Sunday afternoon when everybody in the village, it's a community game. Mm. So you see, the fundamentals are the same, which is that villages like to meet. And there is this concept of community, which happens to be, at least in the Christian world, on the Sunday afternoon. Um, and, uh, but it's the same. Cricket and pétanque is the same, except it looks so different, right? And, and that's the idea, okay, of what I want to say about globalization, is that the fundamentals are the same. Mm -hmm. The fundamentals of honesty, 
of taking care of people, uh, of being a good businessman, but not by cheating. Um, all this is exactly the same all over the world, right? Um, but of course, you have to take care of the fact that you know, Amazon.fr sells French books, right? Not English books, right? Because the French think they have a literature, right? <laughs> Strange idea. <laughs> and, and, and in China, we sell Chinese books, right? Uh, which makes a lot of sense. So, of course, you have to adapt your business to the local culture and the local ways of doing things and the environment and the infrastructure. But the fundamentals of success are the same and the fundamentals of management are the same. Well put. So let me ask you now a, a, a more strategic question or a question about strategy. I'm just a guy who makes the boxes, you know, I don't understand. <laughs> but, but listening to your remarks, I was, I was really fascinated uh, with your characterization of the evolution of Amazon. And, and so let me ask you, is, is Amazon a company or is Amazon a marketplace? Well, I mean, Amazon is a company uh, and we have more than one business. Uh, originally, we had only one business, which was the, what we call the consumer business. Uh, we now, as you know, uh, also have two other businesses. Uh, we, we are a digital business. We, we sell goods digitally, and we even sell the hardware to, re to receive the goods with, with the Fire uh, and, and the Kindle, the Kindle Fire. Uh, but, um, but on our consumer business, we are a marketplace. Mm. Uh, but it's our business to manage that market. In fact, a very interesting thing, because, of course, this concept of customer centricity is most interesting when we have customers on both sides. I, we have consumer customer and merchant customers. And so we have to make sure that we keep the trust of the consumer customers, which at the end are the end of it all, because the consumer buy from the merchant, not the other way around. Right? And so... That, we know where the chicken is and the egg is, right? We know where it begins. It begins with the consumer. However, we have, of course, to uh, treat our merchants as customers of us. And so we have some very, very special, uh, both technology and, and processes, uh, to try to make sure that uh, the merchants that we have on our website are good merchants. Uh, as you know, we protect the consumer at the end with what we call the Amazon A to Z guarantee, which is at the end... If a merchant makes a mistake with our consumer, we will protect our consumer mm -hmm. at our expense. Uh, but we also spend a lot of time to help our merchants to be better merchants. And that's their interest, to be better merchants. So, for example, there is a very interesting product, which perhaps some of you are also merchants, because you can be small merchants or big merchants on Amazon. Uh, we have a product interesting called Fulfillment by Amazon. Because, of course, um, because of some of the technology I was describing to you in terms of positioning inventory and managing all the outbound process and the transportation process all the way to the customer, uh, we have a very, very good logistics. Uh, and so Fulfillment by Amazon is really offering to our merchants the whole uh, logistics tool of Amazon, which means that in this case, not only the merchant sells on Amazon, um, but also we fulfill for him, which means that the merchant sends his inventory to Amazon, and it's in our fulfillment centers, and then once... Our people pick it. It's the same as picking an Amazon good. We don't really know in, in operation if it's Amazon or not. I mean, the computer knows in terms of knowing who the inventory belongs to. But the process of serving the consumer customer is exactly the same. And that's why, in fact, if you buy from some of these merchants, you'll see it arrives in the same package because it's on the same shelves. And so that's the kind of things we try to do all the time, which is to try to improve our merchants to become better for our consumers. Mm. So that's how you try to manage a marketplace, which is not easy. 
but which in our opinion, it's also perhaps the difference between us and some very, uh, very people that I respect a lot, but don't have the whole solution. As you know, eBay is kind of desperate in trying to, because eBay is just a marketplace, and they don't have the logistics. That's perhaps the difference between Amazon. We are not just a virtual company. There is 120,000 people sending you goods. That's a big difference. And, um, and so that's, that's uh, what we do. We try to make a total integration between our virtual world, the website and, and the marketplace, and the fulfillment to you, the customers. Interesting. Fascinating. Shall we open, the, uh, open it up for questions from the audience? Please do. <laughs> okay, so if you, uh, if you have a question, if you would please go to one of the microphones so we, we can all hear you. So, Who's got the first question? All right, Bill, fire away. So I, I fully agree with the, uh, especially with all the blue-collar workers, really having to try and control and manage things and, and really having the ownership at the lowest level. Um, how do you go about communicating the mission, the vision, really getting people to understand it, um, especially across multiple countries, cultures, and in doing so, do you have to vary your message to really make that effective? Well, um uh, let me take first, uh, take the second part of your custom, of a question, then, because that's the easiest one. Uh, and then I'll come back to the first part. Uh, communicating the message across the world, is, uh, it's the same issue everywhere. It's not different. Again, that's where we go back to the fundamental that I told you, that the fundamental of treating well customers, which is what we try to communicate all the time, is received very well anywhere in the world. And it's the same for a blue collar in China, uh, even in France, which is one of the last communist countries left in the world, right? And so, so there is no, no difference there. What's, of course, complex is to communicate, and why, why, does management, why has management failed many times? It failed because we didn't walk the talk. It failed because um, we, we treated these people either as machines or, or we, we told them something, and that was BS, right? And so we lost credibility, and that's why you know, the, 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 the unionization movement and the, uh, the, the, the complex relationship between unions and management came from. There was no trust, right? And mostly because the people at the top broke the trust, because you know, the people at the bottom, there's not much they can do, right? And so, um, uh, so what you do is you walk the talk, right? And uh, so when we speak about customer centricity, we mean it. Uh, when, we, uh, uh, when these people that are also our customers, they go online and they are treated well, they know we mean it. When we make some big decisions that the price criticize and say, Amazon's crazy, they're going to spend millions of dollars doing this, makes no sense, business-wise, they know we mean it. Um, and so once we begin to say that the, you know, the, the, the ultimate objective is to serve the customer well, that's a pretty good thing. There is very few, there is a few people, I mean, anywhere in the world, there is a few people that, you know, are bad people. But I've got good news for you, that's not much. There is not many of those. Most people like that idea, right? Wherever they are, be they MBA students joining us or blue collars working in the fulfillment centers and picking things every day and making boxes, right? Uh, so, so we walk the talk. Um, and in terms of strategy, in terms of customer centricity, we also walk the talk in simple things. Amazon is a very frugal company. Um, for example, um, I today have the smallest office I ever had in my life. 
right? which is great. And by the way, Jeff Bezos, is, his office is the same size as mine. And I don't have a window. My secretary has a window. <laughs> uh, they don't pay for my phone. I pay for my phone. Uh, the higher you are in Amazon, the less perks we have. <laughs> so for those of you that want a big office and a company car and a private parking lot, don't come to Amazon. Um, so we have this thing about trying to be genuine, candid, but demanding at the same time. I mean, we do, we are management, doesn't mean we abdicate our rights, not at all, and there is performance measurement in Amazon, um, and, and some people don't make it, uh, but we try to uh, build that credibility in the communication through our acts. And then, after a while, people begin to believe you. And then when people believe you, then life is easy. Then they do wonderful things for you. Very good. Thank Great. you. I think I remember you saying you had 10,000 exciting events every day. 10,000, uh, yeah, exciting, yes. Uh, the ones when we miss, yeah. That, uh, and 50 so, emails from Jeff Bezos, yeah. As the person in charge of operations, how do you balance firefighting versus strategic problem solving when you deal with these 10,000 events? It'd be very easy to be transfixed by, we've got to fix every single event today, but some of those are quick fixes and some of those are long-term fixes. So how do you balance the firefighting with a long-term view? Okay, so this is a very good question. Um, so first, um, uh, firefighting, um, if you don't go for the root of the fire, is a hopeless task. Right? So, as I said, one of the things we try to do is detect defects and, and find the root cause all the time. Right? Now, um, indeed, um, if you don't engage, uh, if you only engage a few guys that are in charge of that, uh, there is no end to it. If you engage the whole company, suddenly uh, there are less defects. There are things that stop. That people know that part of walking the talk is that we don't, we don't live with defects. We don't put them aside. You know, I was telling you about the Toyota plant uh, and where people stop the line. And the big difference between the Toyota plant and, and another plant um, uh, of those American companies that have gone bankrupt recently, perhaps you've heard about it, uh, paid taxes for, um, uh, um, is that if you, go, if you go, and unfortunately still today, I believe, but I know they're improving all the time, but they still have a long ways to go. Uh, if you go to some of the other car companies, you're going to see cars on the side. Uh, there was a problem, but we don't have the time to stop the line. Right? So if you build that thing that we are not going to live with defects, then, um, then firefighting becomes defect resolution, and it's, there is less fires. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, um, so that's the concept what the Japanese call Kaizen. Right, which is continuous improvement with engaging the people on the shop floor. Uh, there is another part, of course, of, of improvement, which is um, the Japanese word for it is kaikaku, um, which means uh, in the Western world we call that process reengineering or product reengineering, where you redesign your process. Uh, you need to do both. Uh, you need to do kaizen because you only know the entitlement of your current process once you've eliminated all the defects. Um, things today in any company, don't happen like you think they do. So any person, any engineer that design a process or a computer science design, 
designing an information process or an industrial process or whatever. The reality of life is not that. You better go and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you fix that. So that's the Kaizen side. Now, if you do a lot of Kaizen, you're going to reach some form of process entitlement. So I was giving you an example of a major re-engineering we're doing in our fulfillment centers right now, which is that up to now we walk a lot. Right? Now, by walking a lot, we have defects. For example, people that turn the wrong way to go to the shelves, and so they're going to walk too much. And if you walk too much, well, we could miss a package because we don't have the time to bring it back uh, to where it's going to ship from. Um, so at that point, we are in, the, in, the, in, the, in process engineering today, and we are going to have machines walk, robots, um, do the walking. Now, the advantage of machines um, is that when they're well-programmed, only when they're well-programmed, the advantage of computers is that uh, they are not human beings. They are either zero or six sigma. Right? They are not in between. Right. Human beings are much more complex. Right? <laughs> human beings are kind of like three sigma machines. Right? Well, I should, I should define that a little more. Um, French people like me are like 2.8 sigma machines. <laughs> Japanese people are much better, are like 3.2 sigma machines. Right? But after all, we're all about three, whoever we are. And so to get a six sigma process out of three sigma machines is very complicated. That's what Lean is about. Now, when you can sometimes uh, replace a repetitive process, only a repetitive process, not a creative process, mm-hmm. but a repetitive process by a machine that is well-programmed, then you get a Six Sigma operation. So, for example, the robots will always walk the right way because, you know, they don't think, oh, I'm going to turn left. Oh, okay. oh I'm going to go to the restroom. They don't do that, robots, right? They go where the computer says, you know, follow that road. And the route, of course, is the best route. So that's this combination of Kaizen to fix the defects that happen, not firefighting, but Kaizen, which means fi- fix the defect. And yes, it has to be done, right? And but make sure you really fix it. Right? You don't restart the line until you have resolved the problem. And then re-engineering for a new process, and then you go again, because of course in the new process you're going to have new defects, and you're going to fix those. Thank you. Fascinating. Shall we thank Mark for his uh, comments? Thank you. Thank you. Mark, we've got a little uh, gift to uh, convey our appreciation to you. Here is uh, some some uh, olive oil and uh, Russell Ranch dried tomatoes and other goodies from UC Davis. And, you know, we're one of the global leaders in food and agriculture, so Thank you. we wanted you to have this. As a so. Frenchman, I appreciate this. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.